Good morning, TC family. For those that, um, that aren't here in person, that are online, and of course those that are here, just wanted to add to Pastor Norb's um, warm wishes for Mother's Day. Morning, my name is Gary Burton, and this is my lovely wife, Bridget Burton. And we, we've been attending for about two and a half years. Gary and I have the privilege of reading from 1 John. We're going to be reading verses 5, so chapter 1. We're going to be reading 5 to 10, and then the first two verses in chapter 2. And, fun fact, we're going to be doing this in Canada's two official languages, in English and in French. So, here we are. 1 John, chapter 1. Verses 5 to 10, and then chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. This is the message we have heard from him, and we declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will purify us. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The word of the Lord. Disclaimer, my friend's a little rusty. <coughs> La nouvelle que nous avons apprise de lui et que nous avons annoncé ce que Dieu a lumière et qu'il n'y a point en lui de ténèbres. Si nous disons que nous sommes en communion avec lui et que nous marchions dans les ténèbres, nous mentons et nous ne pratiquons pas la vérité. Mais si nous marchons dans la lumière comme il est lui-même dans la lumière, nous sommes mutuellement en communion et le sang de Jésus, son Fils, nous purifie de tout péché. Si nous disons que nous n'avons pas de péché, nous nous Saisissons nous-mêmes, et la vérité n'est point en nous. Si nous confessons nos péchés, il est fidèle et juste pour nous les pardonner et pour nous purifier de toute iniquité. Si nous disons que nous n'avons pas péché, nous le faisons menteur, et sa parole n'est point en nous. Mes petits enfants, je vous écris ces jours ces choses, afin que vous ne péchiez point. Et si quelqu'un a péché, nous avons un avocat 
auprès du Père, Jésus-Christ le Juste. Il est lui-même une victime expiatoire pour nos péchés, non seulement pour les nôtres, mais aussi pour ceux du monde entier. Le mot du Seigneur. Gary, that sounded pretty good to me. I don't, I don't speak a word of French. Actually, I remember from, I think, grade four, ouvre la, la porte. <laughs> you guys laugh like you know what that means. Yeah, I think when I got to grade seven, I had the choice of uh, French or art. And uh, if you see how good I am at drawing, you'll know that that was a really poor decision. Well, I have a confession to make. I'm someone who has some bad habits, not just some, probably many, but one in particular stands out. Um, oftentimes, if I get home late in the evening, I've been at a meeting or been out with some friends or maybe was watching a hockey game, and I know that I should just go straight to bed, I hardly ever do. I decide, oh, I'm going to watch the news or I'm going to watch the post-game coverage and I get it in my recliner and I turn on the TV and in about three nanoseconds, I'm fast asleep. It's a real gift, actually, um, that I can fall asleep in an instant just about anywhere. And some of you probably even experienced that because I might have been in your presence and uh, just dozed off. But This particular habit actually frustrates Tina significantly, and there'll be times where, you know, then obviously she'll wake up a couple hours later, and uh, she'll come to the top of the stairs, and she doesn't want to yell my name because Anna's maybe sleeping in, in her room, and, uh, and so she'll sort of whisper, and uh, that doesn't really work, and then she gets frustrated, and then she comes stomping downstairs and kind of wakes me up, and she decided a while ago that she's just no longer going to do that anymore. And so now sometimes when Anna comes home, she'll be like, Dad, and sort of gently, gently uh, awake me. But what happens when I eventually do wake up, and it's pitch dark in the house, um, I've learned an important lesson that is actually very dangerous to walk in the darkness. You run into things, and particularly that leg on the bottom of the bed that when you stub your toe on it, And you're like, and you can't scream because, well, you don't want to wake up Tina. <laughs> What I've discovered, in fact, is that it's much better to walk in the light. Today, we're going to explore what it means to walk in the light, not physically, but spiritually. We've just started a new series of, series of messages called Certainty in Confusing Times. Because everywhere we look, there seems to be chaos and confusion, that life can just seem so distracting and upsetting and disorientating and overwhelming. But this is a cultural moment in which we live. So the question is, in all of this, how then can we be certain? Is there, in fact, anything or anyone that we can be certain about? And how do we keep ourselves from just being swept up in everything that's going on around us? How can we be kind of steady and strong and stable when the winds blow and the, the big waves crash in? 
Our situation today is not all that different from the first century context in which the Apostle Paul wrote his letters of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. He was writing to help the followers of Jesus have total confidence and assurance of their faith and the relationship with Jesus. And he's really inviting us then to ask this very important question, how then should we live? We discovered last week that one of the things that should mark the follower of Jesus is a joyful confidence. Having this confidence in God's love. Having a confidence in eternal life. And recognizing that eternal life is not just about the length of time, but it's also the the quality of time. And so the, the sense of abundant life here and now. And so having this confidence that Jesus is real. And we saw last week how John just so passionately laid out that this was, this was a real person that he had seen, that he had heard, that he had touched. And he was trying to pass that on to his readers who hadn't physically seen or heard or touched Jesus. And so we read those passages and then we too can have the confidence that comes from his testimony And recognizing that, yes, indeed, Jesus is real and he desires to have a relationship with people even today. And in the passage today, John is in fact contrasting now light and darkness. And he addresses the matter of sin and forgiveness. The invitation ultimately is for us to be a people who walk in the light. And so the question I just set before you this morning is simply ask the question of yourself, am I one who is walking in the light? Am I one who is walking in the light? Whether I'm a mom, whether I'm a dad, whether I'm a single person, no matter where I am in life, am I the one who is walking in the light? Let me explain. John here in these opening verses is making a case, and he makes it very clear that Who God is, is ultimately very important. And he makes the statement here that God is light. So picking up in verse 5, the verses uh, that uh, Bridget and Gary read for us, John says that the message that he and the other apostles had heard, the message that, that he had heard from Jesus himself and is now declaring, is in fact that God is light. And by making that statement, John is telling us a little bit about the nature of God. And so he's defining and describing God for us. In fact, if you look at all of what John has written in his gospel and these letters and in Revelation, there's three statements that actually really stand out for me. If you're wanting to just have a a simple definition of the character of God or who God is. And so in John chapter 4 and verse 24, he simply says, God is spirit. Okay, so that that helps us know that God is spirit. It's not physical, it's a a spiritual reality. Now, God became man and became a physical reality. And then he remained both God and fully, or was both fully man and fully God at the same time. But so we know that God is spirit. And then in 1 John 1, 5, he, the verse that we're looking at, it says God is spirit. And in a few weeks, we'll come to 1 John 4, 8, where he says God is love. And so John is intentionally addressing who God is because his character and his nature affect the way that we live. 
So that when we know that God is spirit, that he is a God that is everywhere, that he is all-knowing, that he is all-powerful, when, when God is light, we'll talk a little bit more about what that means, and that ultimately God is love. And so by declaring that God is light, he is defining God as being completely pure and holy. And this imagery of light is already found in the Old Testament. The very beginning, it was God himself who created light. Light represents, in fact, then all that is good and pure and true and holy and reliable. Light is an incredibly appropriate image of God because it signifies revelation and intelligence and stability and excellence and vision. And God's nature, in fact, is to make himself known. Because he is light, he reveals himself to us. And so John starts off by saying, this is the message we've received. God is light. And so he begins with God, with who he is, and therefore reminding us that God is indeed morally perfect. That there is no blemish, there's no stain, there's no mark or sin. That God is... As light means that he is absolute perfection. So not only does John declare that God is light, he also then notes further in the verse that in him there is no darkness at all. And so what John's doing is a fairly common thing where he he makes a, a positive statement, God is light. He follows it then with a negative statement that in fact reinforces the positive one. He says in him there is no darkness at all. In other words, there's no fault, there's no failure, there's no falsehood, there's no deceit, there's no dishonesty. And so John is just contrasting these two things, light and darkness. Now darkness, when we come to think about it, is a metaphor used to describe sin. And so darkness then is all that God is not. Darkness represents what is sinful and evil. So by stating that in him there is no darkness at all, John is making it clear that God is not tainted in any way by evil or sin. You see, it would be impossible for God to be any of that because he's already stated God is light. So he is holy and true. So this is who God is. God is light. And John starts with God, and as John continues, you start to hear echoes of these false teachers that had been infiltrating the church. And these false teachers were making some false claims, and John here addresses three of them. Three times John uses the phrase, if we claim. And each time he then answers that with a positive truth. Each time John follows with a counter to the, to the false teaching, as it were. And the main point that John is making, and I hope we hear this very clearly today, is that ultimately what we declare with our mouths or that our talk and our walk ultimately go together. That there, there, there has to be consistency between what we say and what we do. Because if it isn't, we have a word for that. It's called hypocrisy. He says, if we say this, then this is how we should live. And if my life doesn't match my words, then ultimately something's wrong in my Christian life. And so I want to just walk through these false claims Nothing spectacular, just simply false claim number one, number two, and number three, if you're taking notes this morning. Excuse me. So false claim number one. 
This is verse 6. And if you have your Bibles, I hope you're following along. He says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, that is with Jesus, with God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Okay? So in this false claim... The person who is saying this is claiming that he, in fact, can have fellowship with God while at the same time living a life that is characterized by unrighteousness. That he or she claims to be in fellowship with God, but his or her life is characterized by sinful behavior. But, John says, you can't claim to have fellowship with God and walk in darkness at the same time. But if you do, John says, in fact, that you're lying and you're not practicing the truth. He's not mincing words, is he? He's being pretty direct. Maybe that, that, that sort of startles us a little bit this morning, and, and so it should. Now, one of the New Testament metaphors to describe conduct or how we, you know, carry our lives out is captured simply by the word walk, Right? We, we walk expresses the idea of behavior and conduct and lifestyle. Walk here is in the present tense, meaning that it is ongoing or that it is habitual. And so for John to use this expression to walk in the darkness, he means that the sin or the darkness is habitual. It is ongoing. Now, John is not in any way expecting followers to live a sinless life. He makes that clear, as we'll soon see, that, that everyone sins. But what he is saying is that over time, there should be progressive growth in godliness, rather than this continual practice of that which is opposed to God. Now, I heard it once said that you know that you're growing in godliness, that when in the actual act of sinning, you're immediately aware of it. And it's like, oh man, I'm doing it again. That there's this quick response and realization. That is the sensitivity with which God's spirit works when we are growing in godliness. But because God is light, he says, those in fellowship with him cannot continue to walk in darkness or cannot continue to walk in sin. Friends, that may seem heavy, but here it is. Listen, the call here, what John's getting at, is we need to be people who actually take sin seriously. Because sin is dangerous. Sin damages. Sin is destructive. Sin hurts the person committing it, and more likely, it hurts others as well. And sadly, we see the hurtful effects all too often of sin. Right? My pride or my arrogance will, will, will cause me to say and do things in a way that hurts Tina. And so if I say that I love God and that I love Tina, then my words should, in fact, align with my behavior. And because of this, it's not just a call by John to take sin seriously. It's really a flat-out rebuke to those who claim to know God while at the same time treating sin lightly. Why? Because light and darkness cannot coexist. 
You, you, you can't reconcile the two. They can't be together. And so that's why John goes on in verse 7, and he counters this false claim then with this truth. He says, but if we walk in the light, there's that phrase, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Interesting that he doesn't immediately jump to fellowship with God, fellowship with Jesus. He says, fellowship with one another. And I think it's because the fellowship with God is already implied, right? Because we're walking in the light. As he is in the light, we're already together. But then he says, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And so here's the opposite now of walking in the darkness. It is walking in the light. And this means that our lives that we live our lives in the light or in the open with honesty and authenticity and that our behavior, our conduct, and our lifestyle is consistent, in fact, with God's character. Now, when we live in the light, John says here that two things happen as a result. Number one, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. Now, we talked a little bit about this horizontal fellowship that we have last week already. And the fellowship that John is describing here is this expression of deep community that is evidenced by a deep sharing of things in common. And what believers of, in Jesus Christ, who followers of Jesus Christ, what they have in common is that we are together saints. We are in fact called out of the darkness and into the light. We're saints. We're made holy. But you and I both know that we still sometimes sin. But what we have in common, or we should have in common, is a desire to pursue holiness together. And friends, there is nothing deeper or more profound than when we experience the beauty of a confessional community of believers. A community that lives out James 5.16 that says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, there's a lot more there in that context, but just notice the command. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Friends, I'm going to suggest to you that that communal practice of mutual confession is something that we've probably lost in the church. And praying for each other. And here's what this looks like. I can guarantee that there are some in this room that have secret habitual sins And you go through this cycle of confessing and repenting and then relapsing. And then you get frustrated because you know it's hurting you and probably others as well. And you're just filled with this shame and this guilt. And then Satan comes along and he whispers in your ear, but don't tell anyone. They'll judge you. They'll probably stop hanging out with you. And we have an enemy that is very subtle and tricky in this. He first tempts us to sin, and then we fall into sin, and then he condemns us for that very sin that he tempted us with. 
And as long as it remains a secret, it has a hold on you, it has a power over you, and the way to break the power of that sin, I believe, is to confess it to someone that you trust. It's not that God hasn't already forgiven you of that sin. But if you want to break the cycle, then you need to go to someone who loves you, someone who has your back. And guess what happens? Your vulnerability causes them to be vulnerable. And they might in turn confess their sin to you. And so you pray for one another. And you encourage one another. And a perfect place to do that is in the context of a triad. We, we, we just throw this out here every once in a while, and just as a reminder, where you would, would get, you know, your, yourself, if you're a female, to other females, if you're a male, to other males, and the three of you would get together specifically with the intention of saying, how will we walk with Jesus in the company of one another that honors Jesus? that brings glory to him? And how will we speak truth into one another's lives? And how will we find a place that's safe for us to actually acknowledge the things that we struggle with in our lives? Where we would confess sin and we would be held accountable to that. But what we would share in common then is a shared desire to pursue holiness together. Because when we have fellowship with one another, The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And so the first thing that happens, John says, when we live in the light is that we have fellowship with one another. That's deep, that's authentic, that's real, that's honest. That says, you know what? Yeah, you're struggling with that and I'm struggling with that. And it's not you're okay and I'm okay and we'll just continue in that. It's like, no, let's get this right. You help me, I'll help you. We'll pray for one another. And we'll check in next week. So we have fellowship with one another. And secondly, it's ultimately when we confess this that it elicits a cleansing. He says here, the verse uh, that I just referred, I was ahead of myself. But the blood of Jesus' son purifies us from all sin. That's why the hymn writer writes, you know, sin had left a crimson stain. But he washed it white as snow purifies us. We are purified. We're saints. But we stumble and we fall sometimes. And we need one another to help each other in that. And so that's false claim number one. That if we claim to have fellowship and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. False claim number two. If we claim to be without sin, he says, we deceive ourselves And the truth is not in us. And so now in this false claim, the person is saying that in essence their sin has been eliminated. That they they in fact no longer sin. That they are in fact without sin. So some in John's church were claiming that through some process of like enlightenment or through spiritual growth and development that they suddenly had arrived at some heightened level of spirituality that brought them to a place where they in fact could no longer sin. Now John doesn't say that that person making this claim is lying, right? He, he says that 
you know, the, the other person in the first case, they're lying. But here he says that they've deceived themselves. And if you stop and think about it, lying to yourself and then ultimately deceiving yourself is far more serious. Because here's the danger. If I believe that I do not sin, that I am somehow incapable of sinning, then I will never actually bring my sin to God for confession and cleansing. So instead of denying that we sin, we are to admit and confess the sin. And only then can God truly forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so here's the counter to this false claim, verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, throughout Scripture, God has promised to forgive sin when it is confessed. And John is saying, because God promised it, he will in fact do it. Because he's faithful. Consider just a couple of verses. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be, there's the promise, shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Or Jeremiah 31 verse 34 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That is a promise that God makes. That he will forgive their wickedness, will remember their sins no more. And if you stop and think about the character of God who is all-knowing, how does he forget? Or how does he, you know, he chooses intentionally then not to remember our sins. That's why he says that, right? Because he's incapable of forgetting. But he's entirely capable of choosing to not remember it. Psalm 103, verse 12, the psalmist writes, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And so clearly, if God makes promises about forgiving and then refuses to forgive... He would be unfaithful. Instead, what he has promised to do, that is forgive sins, he will do. And so we confess, and John says, he's faithful, and he will forgive. That forgiveness is never withheld. And John also says that God will be just. He'll be faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins and purify us. And so John is saying that God's justice, in fact, is enacted in forgiving sins because Jesus had died for our sins and God's just wrath against him was satisfied. And so when we talk about confession of sins, it it means that we simply humbly agree with God. That we come to him and we agree with God that that the act that we did or the thought that we had was wrong. And and then we just acknowledge that to God. We We just own it. But we seek his forgiveness. And then we make a commitment to not do it again. That's the confess and repent part. 
And so it's very simple, friends. It's acknowledging I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And then help me to repent and to walk in the light. Incidentally, that's how we can confess to one another, right? When I've done something that has hurt another person, what do I need to do? I need to agree that it was wrong, that it was hurtful. I acknowledge that to the individual and I ask for their forgiveness and I make a commitment not to do it again. So in any relationships, whether it's husband and wife or mom and child or even child and mom, what do we do? We can utter those words too, like, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And help me to walk in that way. I want to make a commitment to not doing that again. And so as the first false claim required a pursuit of holiness and a pursuit of holiness together in the company of others, this second false claim requires humility. Like without humility, we'd be like the false teachers in John's day. That we can become so spiritually arrogant, so prideful that that we don't even see our sin. And to us, maybe we get to that place where it doesn't even really exist. And friends, there's this significant difference between proud people and broken people. People who are prideful, who think, ah, it's not my issue. I don't struggle with that. And we, like the tax collector, Lord, (laughs) have mercy on me. That's the posture. Not a prideful arrogance, but a spirit of humility that can truly acknowledge when we're wrong and we can confess it. And then false claim number three. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. The person who says this kind of thing is saying, I'm not sinning now, but in fact, I have never sinned. Now, this is the height of self-deception, just as in the second false claim. But now God adds that the person who makes this claim actually makes God himself out to be a liar. That, that, That just seems incongruent, doesn't it? Why would God be a liar? He says, because God has declared that everyone sins and is in need of grace. Romans 3.23, well-known verse likely, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so everyone has sinned. All have missed the target. And so for those seeking to walk in the light, walking with Jesus, the light will actually reveal the darkness and the dark places will be cleansed. It doesn't mean that the person will become increasingly conscious of how good he or she is becoming. The opposite is actually true. That when we're growing in holiness, 
it means that there's a growing sensitivity to sin. And as we become more sensitive to sin, we will have this intense desire to eliminate from our lives everything that displeases God, everything that dishonors him, because we know that God is light, that he is pure and holy. And so if we are going to be a people who walk in the light, instead of becoming proud of you know, how good we are becoming, we will be increasingly ready to acknowledge our sin and seek to have it eliminated. And that's why John continues in chapter 2, verse 1. And listen to his, just his heart coming out here. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin very much. Actually, that was my addition. If you're following along, it doesn't say that at all. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But I think sometimes we approach sin in this way. It says, well, maybe I, I, I'll just sin less this week than I did last week. And John's saying, no, that, that's, that's not where we start. <laughs> we write this so that you will not sin. And I think sometimes for some people, the goal is just to sin less. But for John, it is to walk in the light in this pursuit of holiness that we become so sensitive to our own sin that we seek to avoid it. It's a high bar. But it's actually a testimony that we see throughout Scripture. Isaiah, the prophet in chapter 6, says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Prophet with unclean lips. Pastor with unclean lips, okay? He says, woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Peter, his response to Jesus, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Paul, 1 Timothy says, I am the worst of sinners. And we read those things and we go, really? Like, Really? But I think actually those were statements of humility because they were quick to confess sin. Friends, this, I know this is, is heavy and I've probably said sin more times in the last 25 minutes than you've heard in a long time. But maybe you've heard of revivals this is the stuff of revivals. That is my conviction. You read about the Ashbury revival happening at the, this, this college earlier this year in January and February. We're through the simple preaching of a message and a gathering of worship on this, on, on, on this college campus. People just decided that, you know what? God started to stir and it was a wake-up call. And people came and they started to gather and they stayed together 24-7. And it went on for weeks. And people journeyed from all over the country because they wanted to go and experience this move of God because people were getting honest with their sin and they were at the altar confessing their sin. Because 
Because that's the beauty of it. Because John goes on in verse 2, he says, but if anybody does sin. You see, when, when, when there is a sense of revival and there's this pursuit of holiness, we actually, we disdain sin. But, but John makes it clear, he says, listen, so the goal is don't sin, but, but if you do, but if anyone does sin, Because we do, we recognize that. That's the reality that we live in. But if we do, he says, listen, we have an advocate. We have an advocate. We have a mediator. Someone who is between us and God the Father. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. He says, he is the righteous one. So Jesus is not only our savior, but he's our advocate. He speaks on our behalf. And he says, you know that one? I know they sin, but they're righteous. I've covered their sin. They're they're purified. They're holy. They're good. But it was Jesus who was an atoning sacrifice for our sins, John says, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Isn't that beautiful? He was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He paid the price, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. There, there's, I know there's so much here and there's some deep theology here, but it's this realization that, that Jesus was this spotless lamb, this once and for all sacrifice. We don't have to go and offer goats anymore or other sin offerings or any of that kind of stuff because it's all been done and it's all been paid and there's forgiveness of sin for your sin and for my sin and for the sins of the whole world. But we only walk, we not only walk in the light because God is light, but we are people who pursue holiness. We walk in humility because Jesus, the righteous one, he loves us, he advocates for us. And he has atoned for our sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. That our sin, past, present, and future, it's been covered. Friends, this is why we need to talk so much about God's love and his grace and his mercy. To try to comprehend this undeserved forgiveness And it should not push us further and deeper into sin. It should be the exact opposite. It should make us desire not to sin. That when we're won over by his immeasurable love, by his amazing grace, by this incredible forgiveness, we determine that with God as our strength, that we will live lives as we walk in the light that please him. Knowing all the while that when we do fail him, And we will. Instead of denying our sin or rationalizing our sin or justifying it or redefining it, we'll quickly turn to Jesus and we'll confess it. And he purifies us. So Lord, I've sinned. And we hear those wonderful words. You are forgiven. So, What does it mean to walk in light? It means that as we walk in this relationship, the light reveals the darkness. 
Psalm 119 verse, verse 105 says, your word is a lamp <clears throat> unto my feet and a light to my path. And so are people who read and study the Bible. I can use Pastor Adam's favorite illustration of seeing the Bible as a, as a plumb bob. If you go into his office, he has one hanging there on a shelf beside some Bibles as a visual reminder that it is the word that keeps us in alignment. And so when we compare the way that we live or the conduct of our lives and we're not in alignment, we're a little out of alignment, we go, oh, there's something I need to confess. And we bring it back into alignment. But it starts when we read and study the word. Secondly, we pursue holiness. And we don't do this just on our own because I think that there are particular traps that the enemy sets for us that makes that very difficult. We do it in community. You see, the, the scripture actually says that the heart is deceitful above all things. And so left to our own devices, we'll probably actually never acknowledge some of the things that we think and do as sin. But when we read the word, <clears throat> we're convicted by something, we bring our lives in alignment with that, and we say, that's how I want to live. And we go to a couple of friends and we say, do you want to live this way too? Let's covenant to walk in the light together. And so we regularly confess and repent of sin. We keep short accounts. We express a humility that is, makes it easy for us to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me, both to God and to others. <clears throat> and friends, let me just remind you of a practice that, you know, we emphasize during Lent, but it is a practice that really could be practice year-round and should be practiced year-round, and that's fasting. Because one of the things that we do when we fast is we kind of strengthen our no muscles, right? Fasting is, is that act of self-denial. When we say, you know, I am not going to eat lunch today, and the hunger pains hit us, and we just, we just, it's hard, and, it, and we start to suffer, and we're just like, we're identifying with some of the pain that Jesus went through but we say no to ourselves. And the more we say no to ourselves, it transfers to other desires that we have, other fleshly desires we have. And then we can say no to that as well. Psalm 32, verses 1 to 5 in closing. Listen to these words. This is a psalm that David wrote. And I think it, just so appropriately explains and describes, I think, what is our human experience when it comes to sin. Psalm 32, verses 1 to 5. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Can we say amen to that? Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. And then David gives a personal testimony. He says, when I kept silent, what did he keep silent about? His sin. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. 
So he's just feeling the weight and the burden of the sin because he had stayed silent. And then verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Friends, we have an incredible Savior. And so when our sin is great, his mercy is more. Let's pray together. I invite you to stand. The worship team will come and they'll lead us in a closing, closing song. And I just, I want to give you a moment just, just to respond to this. <clears throat> maybe ask the Lord just to take you back maybe through the events of this last week or maybe it's the last 24 hours. And you say, God, is there a thought? Is there an action? Is there a deed that was out of alignment? Just bring that before the Lord today. Because here's the truth. Don't miss this. If we confess our sins, it's on us. That's the choice we make. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So just take a moment to pray. Bring that before the Lord and then I'll close in prayer. Father, it is so helpful for us to look to your word and to understand more of who you are. Being reminded today that you are light. A light that cannot coexist with darkness. But light expels the darkness. Lord, we thank you that we can look to your word and understand that you are faithful and just. And so because of who you are, we can be a people who pursue holiness, who walk in humility, not becoming spiritually proud or arrogant because of our achievements or how much we've accomplished. But we can be a people who, in humility, turn to you, humbly acknowledging our transgressions. And Father, truly blessed are the ones whose transgressions are forgiven. And so I pray, Father, for everyone who confessed something this morning that they would just know with absolute certainty that even here there would be this joyful confidence in knowing that you are a forgiving God, you are a loving God, you are a good God. Lord, my heart's desire is that you would revive our hearts, that you would bring 
revival to our land, to our community, to our church. And that it would start with me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.